Straight from WCHL, Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it's the Simbler's Ravelry Sports Show, starring Chris and Theo Brown. Join us hermanos deportivos tonight, it's former NBA Flaming Eli Light Bowler, current Big Ten Network reporter, Steven Baldo. Escuchen mis muchachos, do not play because it's changing sports landscape. My landscape changes every day. Ay, ay, ay. One day snow, loco, the next day hace mucho calor. It never ends. How is this chica supposed to grow a green thumb? Your breakers are no problem, mis amigos. Aside, there is always sibling rubbery sports. I am Sport Thanos. I know what it's like to lose. To feel so desperately that your brackets are right, yet to fail nonetheless. It's frightening. Turns the legs to jelly. I ask you, to what end? Dread it. Run from it. Destiny arrives. All the same. And now it's here. I have successfully assembled the gauntlet of sport jewels, and now I tell you, it was I who snapped my fingers this past weekend. Whoosh! Carolina was out of the tourney, their shooting accuracy gone to dust. Whoosh! Duke was out of the contest, their last second heroics vaporized. Whoosh! Three out of four number one seeds are gone, and so is the high level of intrigue for those remaining. But hey, I left one. Whoosh! The AAF is up in smoke. Their high ratings and promising stars dissolve before even finishing the season. But their CEO got their tech, and I will be visiting him about it very soon. I know you are distressed, good listener. Do not be. Embrace your destiny. Half of sports sanity remains. And best of all, so does all of sibling rivalry sports! CL! Get your ticket now for the end game. Gonna need more than a finger snap to get rid of us. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go. Oh, man. Final four coming up. Not the teams. Well, I don't know if you picked any of the teams in your final four. Not the teams I expected. Not the teams I picked except for one. Who'd you pick, Virginia? Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I ended up not having any of them. Really? Yes, I had Purdue, um, which that was just a great game. I mean, either way, that was a great game. I had Duke, which Uh, that was a great game. That's right. I was sitting there. I had Gonzaga, Uh and they just folded in the end. Texas Tech was just a stronger team. And initially, originally I had Kentucky Mm -hmm. over Carolina in the Elite Eight. But I got scared off by P.J. Washington's injury, so then I put Carolina, and we know that didn't happen. So I think I know what your answer to this is, C.L., but what if before I said, C.L., I'm 100% that Carolina will have players dealing with the flu. Will you pick them now? What would you have done? I still would have taken them. Over Auburn, I still would have taken them. Uh-huh. Over Kentucky, I wouldn't have taken them. Gotcha. Gotcha. But that's neither here nor there. What do we have for the big playback? This is the big payback. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, y'all. The big playback. So... We we saw kind of an obliteration of these number one seeds and what is being talked about all over the place, specifically Tobacco Road, is do one and done players are is the whole one and done phenomenon overrated? Should uh, should they have been getting multiple championships, multiple Final Four appearances? Is this something that is not really what we thought it was? Well, I would present to you 1983 NC State Wolfpack, 1985 Villanova Wildcats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can skip forward to like 2014 UConn Huskies. And these are examples of the best teams did not win in those years. Those teams I just gave an example of, those were just teams that played well together, got hot at the right time, got a little lucky in some cases, whatever the case may be. They were not the team you looked at roster from top to bottom, or at least rotation from top to bottom, and said, hey, this is the most talented team that should win this year. Mm -hmm. I say that because the same translates to one-and-done teams that are heavy on one-and-done players. These are, quote-unquote, the best players assembled. And let's talk, because I know people pointed at Duke and Kentucky, and those are the teams right now, the programs that are are using that system, who have have the most guys who come in as as potential one-and-dones and leave. And so people are looking at those schools like, you can't get it done like this. And I disagree, because... In a situation where we're talking about a one-off tournament like the NCAA, mm-hmm. things happen. You can have the most experienced team, you can have the most talent, and you can still not win it all. Mm-hmm. Our guest later in the show, yes. Stephen Bardo, played yes. with 1999, the Flying Illini, Illinois teams that didn't win the championship. And they had the best talent, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Five guys who played in the NBA off of that roster, mm-hmm. and they didn't win it all that year. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with one of They weren't one and done. <laughs> yeah, they weren't one and done, right? They weren't one and <laughs> you done. You know, so. But, but so they weren't one and done, CL. They were the, also, but they were the most talented. They were the most talented team, you're saying, in the, in the final. And they court. didn't win it. Yeah, they didn't. So that can happen. Right. It doesn't matter if you're talented with one and done guys. It, wait, it can happen. CL, wait a minute. Were they one and done talented? It was different. It was a different era. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, can you can you kind of draw some kind of comparison? <clears throat> um I mean, I I don't know. Like Nick probably Anderson, Kendall Gill. Probably I feel like Kendall Gill probably could have been a one and done type. Um uh, Marcus Liberty at that time when he came in as a freshman, he was a freshman on that squad. Um, I believe he probably would have been a one and done okay. type. Uh, but I, but I don't, like it's totally different back then than it is now. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. So you said it's totally different. So therefore, we can't say well if they were one and done types, then we could probably have said they should win it all. You're, you're saying that. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying they were the most talented team. So right. When, when right now when we're talking about Duke as a yes. team that has four guys who are potential one-and-done kind of yeah. guys off of this team this year, uh-huh. they were the most talented team. Okay. So I'm, I'm saying that is the equivalence. The most okay. talented team doesn't always win. Okay, it's true, CL, yet I don't want to miss the dynamic of them being one and done. That's an important dynamic because they're super talented coming out of high school, able to go into the pros if they had so chosen. 
Yes. And not if they so chosen, because the NBA rule is you have to be a year removed from your high school before you can go. So it's it's not up to them. They come right. to college because they have to, not because right. Okay, well, not because they they could go to Europe or whatever. But you know, what go I'm to saying. Europe. They and now soon the G League will be sending out invites. I mean, these are the guys who would get those types of invites for the G League coming right out of high yes. school. Okay, so so they're that talented, you know, all American types and stuff in that that age. And I, just what what's out there, CL is it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And and CL, dare I say, people are pointing to Coach K. What what's going on with him? Shouldn't he be getting these guys to Final Fours, etc.? It's. I mean, it's silly. Uh, it's really silly. I mean, I can point to Gonzaga this year. Gonzaga, no one and dones on that team. They had uh, a senior point guard in Josh Perkins, who was a starter when they lost to Carolina in 2017 national title game. So he had that experience coming into this Elite Eight game against uh, Texas Tech. Rui Hachimori, who will be a lottery pick. He's a junior. Brandon Clark, he's a junior. He should also be a, a high pick if he chooses to come out this year. They had veteran guys, experienced guys, in their rotation. They still lost to Texas Tech. They, and, and those guys are among the most talented. Like, I'm not just saying these are old guys playing. Rui Hachimori and Brandon Clark are two lottery-type talents. I don't think Josh Perkins kind of fits in that category, but in terms of a front court in the NBA, I mean, in the in college basketball, I don't think anybody really had a better one than Gonzaga this year. And they lost. So experienced guys can lose, too. That's that's my point. To, to just point and say, oh, it's because of one and done. It is not. Experience, experience. Wait, now this is not a plug, CL, but on, on, the, on the Seattle show that I do, the, the thought came up that I just want to kind of ask you this as an aside, that Gonzaga is a blue blood. And I, I said, uh, not so fast, my friend. What would you say? Is Gonzaga a, now a blue blood? Well, I'd say it's we'd have to redefine what a traditional blue blood is. But it it gets kind of murky the waters because is UCLA right now is Indiana right now those are traditional blue bloods True. but when we're talking about right now when's the last time NBA I mean NBA Indiana hadn't been in a final four since 02 when Mike Davis led them there um UCLA went to three straight under Ben Howland but that's been 11 years now since they last made an appearance so you know, and they're looking for a new coach. <laughs> so, uh, no, no. To that aside, I wouldn't say under under the traditional sense of a blue blood. No. What is the new sense? But they're but they're no longer a they're no longer a mid major. I would say that. True. Um, True. But uh, but but going back to this experience first one and done argument, I would also say for those criticizing Coach K and John Calipari. Um, Coach K, if if Duke, if Grayson Allen hits the bank shot at the end of regulation last year, they beat Kansas in regulation and go to uh, the Final Four. If R.J. Barrett hits the front end of of the free throw and then makes his second, that's a tie game against Michigan State, and we're going into overtime. It's not like they're just failing <laughs> they are destroyed. coming up flaming yes and and Kentucky too Kentucky's been to Elite Eight if, if Luke May doesn't hit the shot against Kentucky in 2017 then that game is going into overtime right like you know like it's it's 
<laughs> they're they're coming close, but that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. It's it's one game. It's not the best of seven series. It's one game you have to beat us or or for us to play our best game and beat you. Well, our next guest is someone who could talk about the one game concept CL. It is Stephen Bardo. Yes, from the Flying Illini. Yes, from the Big Ten Network. Yes, you should come on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports and check him out here on 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Our guest tonight, and it pains me to say it, that he played on one of the best teams not to win the NCAA title. Um, And I know it pains him to hear it. Stephen Bardo, former point guard for Illinois, also known as the Flying Illini teams, uh, reached the 1989 Final Four. Stephen, how you doing tonight? What's going on? I'm doing well, fellas. How about yourself? Great, man. Pretty Great. interesting. Pretty interesting sports time, Stephen. <laughs> we, uh, it's always interesting sports time, it's what, however you look at it, you know? You know what? You're right. True, true. You're correct. Hey, well, we want to jump right into it with the final four coming up. We have Virginia and Auburn on one side of the bracket and Michigan State playing Texas Tech on the other. Are you surprised at all to see these four teams that, that emerged through the crucible of the tournament? Uh, the team that really surprised me is Auburn because they came through a gauntlet of the Blue Blood. Uh, I believe it was Kansas, uh, North Carolina, and Kentucky that they had to come through to get to the Final Four. So they're kind of a surprise to me, but uh, I, I had Virginia making all the way to the championship game. I had Texas Tech losing in the Elite Eight to uh, Gonzaga, and I had Michigan State uh, beating Duke in the Elite Eight. So I'm the only real surprise in my mind is Auburn and the way that they're playing. Even though they lost to KK, they were still able to win that Elite Game, Elite Eight game without him. So yeah. that's the only team that really surprised me at this point. Yeah, so you had the Spartans beating Duke in the Elite Eight, and and I failed to mention that you work for the Big Ten Network and Fox Sports as college basketball analyst. I was I was so in my mind with the flying Illini teams, I forgot to give you your proper titles. But um, so what what made you pick that Michigan State team? I'm, I'm curious on that. Well, the Big Ten conference it was was the best conference in the regular season, contrary to the NCAA uh, Tournament Selection Committee giving the ACC three number ones. The North Conference uh, outside of the Big Ten had every member in the top 100. So although the ACC was a better conference at the top, uh, you know, from from top to bottom, the Big Ten was the best conference this season. And so you take a Michigan State team that beat Michigan three times, they won the share of the regular season, and they won the conference tournament. They're a veteran team. They've overcome injuries. Uh, everything that you can throw at a team in one season, Michigan State has withstood and excelled in that situation. And I knew at some point that the freshmen of Duke were going to run into a scenario that they could not overcome. It almost happened twice leading up to the Michigan State game, and I just felt that the, the veteran play and the freshmen of Duke were going to see something that they had never seen before at some point in the tournament that they would not be able to overcome. And that's why I picked Michigan State over Duke. Yeah. Would you put Cassius Winston, a point guard for Michigan State, 
is he in the same Mateen Cleaves like stratosphere? I mean, do do you feel like uh, he can carry this team to to cutting the nets down Monday night? I do, and you know, a lot of people they have high reverence for Mateen Cleaves, as do I. But Mateen Cleaves doesn't have half the game to catch the Winston has. He can't. He, he couldn't do half the things that Cassius can do. Uh, Mateen Cleese played with probably three other NBA, three three NBA players on the yeah. team that won a national championship. Uh, this Michigan State team, outside of Cassius Winston, maybe Joshua Langford, um, and he's been injured. <laughs> player situation, but they don't really have the talent that Mateen Cleese has. Yeah, and Cassius Winston is a better scorer. I believe he's a better passer. The thing that Mateen Cleese had over uh, of Cassius Winston was his strong will and leadership ability. And so Cassius does it by example, whereas Mateen was a lot more verbal. But in terms of just an overall player, I think Cassius Winston, uh, in my opinion, is probably the second best point guard to come out of Michigan State outside of Magic Johnson. Whoa, wow. That's wow. huge. That's huge. Nice. Um, so, so. Who's your pick? I mean, are, are you taking, yeah. you sticking with Michigan State to win it all? Who's your pick? You know, I'm glad you guys are outside of the Big Ten radius. <laughs> <laughs> You're safe here. Big Ten fans probably won't hear this, but I got Texas Tech because oh, wow. they're playing and the way they cut off. They cut Gonzaga's water off. I mean, I had Gonzaga winning the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The way that they made Michigan and Gonzaga look, uh, it's going to be awfully tough to beat them. So I think the winner of the Michigan State Texas Tech game in my mind will win the national championship uh, and if I you know my gut is telling me Texas Tech if I had to put money down I'd, I'd put Tech just because of the way they defend and they've got a guy in Jared Culver who can create his shot as well as anybody left in the tournament yeah yeah I, I, I feel like uh from watching Michigan State Duke, I feel like Michigan State is going to end up winning it and and I probably should say that I, I I'm pulling for Virginia because I, I really like sure. what Tony Bennett has done and everything like that. But I just felt like watching Michigan State live that uh, that there's something about that team. Like like you mentioned, like all the things they've gone through. Because um, I, I feel like you can make the argument had Joshua Lankford played all season, he might have emerged as their best player. Uh, you know, over over Cassius Winston, but. Um, They've just gone through so much, and and they've been resilient, and they have that that trademark Tom Izzo toughness that I I kind of feel like uh, they'll they'll eventually pull it off, but we'll see. But it kind of along those lines, uh, the on the network side of things, since since you work for a network, how disappointed do you think the the people at Turner and our friends at CBS were to not see? Duke or Kentucky <laughs> or Carolina, you know, a blue blood emerge. Oh, it was it was devastating for them because they know historically what those programs bring in terms of viewership. But I think that um, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight round were probably the best the NCAA has had in about the last decade. Oh yeah, those games were outstanding. We didn't get the we didn't get the big upsets and huge. Uh, swings in the first and second round but that Sweet 16 and Elite 8 round were fantastic and I think the the ratings that I kind of I saw blurb on them were higher for that period so I think that yes it, it will take a hit with Duke, Kentucky 
North Carolina, those blue bloods not necessarily being there. But I think that um, the I think the nation is watching what's going to come out of this particular Final Four because there's tremendous storylines there. You talking about Virginia that hadn't been to a Final Four since Ralph Sanders. Yeah. You talking about Auburn who's never been to a Final Four, and you've got Bruce Pearl who is a controversial figure. Now he's back in the final, not, not back, but he's in the final four. Mm-hmm. Then you got Michigan State. Um, we talked about their their overcoming adversity all year long. And then you've got Texas Tech, who was in the Elite Eight last year, lost a, a, some really key players, and come back this year and get to the final four. And the way that they've done it in such impressive fashion, I, I just think there's tremendous storylines in this in this particular final four even though there aren't the traditional blue blood or a blue blood represented in this group. Interesting. Interesting. So Stephen, Chris here. So you having the experience of having been on a team that was much ballyhooed and earned it, you know, a super athletic and super talented team, uh, that, that final four team that you're on. We've been talking about here on the show, uh, you know, the validity of the criticism of players that come in and are the one and done type players and they are highly, you know, touted. And then they, you know, especially in these parts, Stephen, people are talking about, you know, is that now is all that just hot air or what? Because these guys don't seem to, you know, people are saying, I'm not saying they're they're right, but they are saying they don't seem to produce da-da-da-da-da. So I want to ask you, someone who's been there, who's played it, you guys had a lot of experience on your team. You were a junior. Kendall Gill was a junior. uh, You know, you had, a, I think, a fifth-year senior there with with Battle. Anderson was a sophomore. So you guys had guys, you know, that had been in the in the system for a minute. How would you uh, kind of rate this phenomenon that's happening right now with one and duns? Did it compare with you guys, or is it something totally different? No, I think it's totally different uh, because when we were talking about Duke earlier and the reason. Uh, CL asked me, why did I pick Mr. State over Duke? And when you've got freshmen, I don't care what conference, I don't care who's your coach, when you get into the NCAA tournament, you're going to see something you haven't seen before. And how do you respond to that? Do you have other, do you have a upperclassman you can rely on? Well, in Duke's situation, no, they didn't. And so now you're seeing something new for the first time. You start looking around. And you're looking at Coach K, and Coach K can do all he can from the sideline. He can't come out on the floor and create or stop whatever somebody's doing or, you know, adjust to this adjustment that's being thrown at you. And so for us, I I often share with people, my junior and senior years alone in the Big Ten, we had 17 first and second round draft picks in the NBA. I'm going to say that again. My junior and senior year alone in the Big Ten Conference, we had 17 first and second round NBA draft picks. Nice. And what that tells me is that the one and done situation, these are young people who have the ability to pretty much go right to the NBA. I think that I think it's fair to say that uh, the four freshmen that were the stars in the Duke team, I think they were physically ready to leave high school and go right to the NBA. That's a phenomenon still. That's not, that's not the norm. That's a phenomenon. And so I think that the one-and-done situation is, it is what it is, you know. And I often 
like to remind people that why do you send your suit? Why do you send your child to college? Why does anybody send their child to college? To be better for the marketplace that they're trying to enter into. And so people that have this criticism of one and done, I bristle at that. It, it bothers me because why are these young men and their families any different than trying to prepare them for whatever vocation that they're trying to achieve, which is the NBA? Why are they different from an engineering student? You think that if Bill Gates came to Duke campus and offered uh, the whiz kid in the engineering program a million dollars a year for three years to leave, you don't think he'd be out the door in a heartbeat? <laughs> that, Half that, a heartbeat. You know, that, what's the word, um, that stigma is mm -hmm. applied to the, the one-and-done situation. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I bristle at it, and that's the difference between the one-and-done and from when I was playing because it's to, to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, you had juniors and seniors. You didn't have freshmen and sophomores back then. Wow. Yeah, I should point out that that was when the Big Ten, when you played, was when it really was 10 teams <laughs> before they expanded even to, to Penn State being the 11th, right? And then uh, uh, so 17 uh, draft picks is, is something else that's even more magnified. Uh, I'm curious, how often do you guys sit around, you, you guys being uh, the rest of your flying Illini teammates, and just kind of nitpick the Final Four loss to Michigan. Y'all beat them twice in the regular season. That was before the Big Ten had a tournament, so you didn't have to face them a third time in the tournament uh, or in the conference tournament. But then you play them in the – y'all were better than they were. You know what I mean? Does, does that still eat at you even to this day? No, not really because, you know, we had our 30-year anniversary not uh, about a month, month and a half ago. We all got together and talked about it, and it, there was a consensus that came out of that. First of all, we were we we knew we were probably the best, the most talented team in the country that year, but we kept saying Final Four. We weren't saying national championship. Hmm. And I think what happened was psychologically, we got to the Final Four, but we still had work to do. Second, um, Michigan throughout the regular season was coached by Bill Frieder. Yeah. When Bo Schembechler, God rest his soul, he was the athletic director of Michigan. He got wind that Frieder had signed a secret agreement with Arizona State. And once the, the, the season was over for Michigan, he was going to take a job at Arizona State. Bo Schembechler told him to, you know, go ahead and leave because we want Michigan men coaching the Michigan team. Steve Fisher, the assistant, comes in and gets everybody on the same page. Because before then, Ramil Robinson would be a, a, little, a little selfish in his shot, shot selection. Terry Mills and Lloyd Vaught would get upset when they didn't have enough shots. But what Steve Fisher did was he said that Glenn Rice was going to touch the ball every time down the floor. And what that did, that ended up being Glenn Rice has scored the most points in a tournament run in NCAA tournament history. That was 30 years ago. And so those, those two things are really the big difference in what, what we talked about is what's the difference in us not winning national championship and us losing to Michigan in the Final Four was we weren't we were really talking about the Final Four Final Four instead of saying National Championship and then the Steve Fisher came in and made some slight adjustments that they missed in a much much better team than the one we faced in the regular season hmm, makes sense you're more diplomatic than me man because I'd still <laughs> be like man <laughs> <laughs> yes well there's some other things but you know CL I'm I'm pretty good at being PC. 
We'll get that off air. Okay. All right. Hey, Stephen, I would uh, actually love to just shift gears for a second into Illini football and just get your take on Lovey Smith. We 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 know that he's an incredible person, an incredible man, an incredible coach. But I would I would just love to hear you know your opinion. You know, have you run into him? What what do you think about him and and where he's headed? You know, I think Lovey Smith was uh, appropriate for the time in the football program because it was in shambles. Uh, the former athletic director Mike Thomas is horrible, one of the worst in the country. Uh, the football coach uh, Tim Beckman should never have been allowed to be a head coach because he he just didn't know what he was doing. He was an imbecile, and it really put. Okay, I think you're being PC again. <laughs> Please come out with the way you feel, man. It's okay. Smith, uh, <laughs> Say it again. I, I think you're being PC again. It's hard to tell what you really feel about these things. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. No, I got you. I, I think Lovey Smith was appropriate for what we needed. We needed some feel good. We needed uh, a, a name that, that resonated in the state of Illinois, obviously, with Lovey coaching uh, the Chicago Bears and taking them to the Super Bowl. He was a household name. Uh, the University of Illinois program had never had a head coach a black head coach in football or men's basketball. And so he broke that barrier for us. Uh, so there was a lot of boxes that Lovey, Lovey Smith checked. Um, but I think what we're starting to notice now is that he's probably better suited at the NFL level because there's certain things with recruiting and things that, you know, he's naturally going to struggle with because that's not, that's not a strong suit of his. And I think that, um, you know, similar to what we see coaches that try to bring a program out of the doldrums, and get them to a certain stage. I think Lovey's gotten it to a certain stage. I'm not sure that he can take it further than where it is. Oh yeah, yeah. May I just say, if he happens to get a couple of athletes that that he needs, his cover defense, his cover two defense is unbeatable. <laughs> you think so, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to give you a geographical picture. Okay. So when you're you're at University of Illinois, and now you've got Jeff Brom at Purdue about an hour and a half away, really turning that program around. True. You've got Wisconsin three hours north that is a juggernaut in this in this region in terms of recruiting. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, you've got Ohio State and Michigan that come to Chicago land area in the state of Illinois and pluck players all the time. Mm-hmm. So in Iowa does the same thing. So what you're in a, a really competitive recruiting marketplace here in the Chicagoland area. Mm. And if recruiting isn't one of your strong suits, and you're trying to get those cover two athletes, those cover two athletes are going elsewhere. They're not coming to Illinois mm. at this point. Mm. So that's, I hear what you're saying. It would be like <laughs> saying that, you know, if Brad Underwood, the coach at the University of Illinois, had four McDonald's All-Americans like the Chesky has, Illinois would be in the final four. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, but it's a, it's a it's very very difficult in the football the, the football landscape that is the Big Ten the way it's comprised right now. It is crazy crazy competitive True. to get those top notch athletes and try to attract them to Illinois as opposed to all these other schools that have established programs for the last decade. Tell them to drop me a line, Stephen. I'll do some recruiting for him. I can recruit. <laughs> Okay. Hint, he can't all recruit. Right. We, need, we need all hands on deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's our time, Stephen. Um, 
Let me just give you some shout outs first. You can follow him on Twitter at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Bardo, B-A-R-D-O, at Stephen Bardo, or his YouTube channel at Bardo's Breakdown 35. That's B-A-R-D-O-S-B-R-E-A-K-D-O-W-N 35. That was his plan number at Illinois. And uh, we appreciate you being on with us, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Be checking you out at the Final Four and Mini. Yep. I definitely, definitely enjoy and see you there. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill, where we always chill. And it is time for a little bit of football. And that that sport Thanos snap that took away some of these teams, some of the, the aspects of March Madness also took away an entire league, apparently. The Alliance of American Football is suspended CL and it might be done for good but I just want to know and everybody's clamoring to know what was CEO Dundon thinking about when he when he did this you know Monday night late he met with the NFLPA according to uh, I think it was, a, it was AP and is also ESPN met with the NFLPA they were talking um, and they thought that what I read was that they thought some progress was being made. They knew that that was a possibility, but nobody expected him to go out Tuesday or, or whatever it was the next day and, and say, boom, it's gone. It's over. So what's going on with him? What is he doing? I mean, I couldn't tell you, but I think that anybody uh, <laughs> who has $70 million uh, to essentially throw away and be good with losing as an investment, uh, you know. Uh, from my estimation, from what I read, it had, you know he hadn't invested the full two hundred fifty million sure. yet, or whatever. It was, yeah. it was around seventy what he had already put in. But um, must be nice to have money like that just to, just to <laughs> throw away. I mean, it just seems like why would you go into it if you? I don't know. It, it just seems like he's strong arming the league and trying to do whatever. His way. I, I, I don't think. I don't think you make the initial investment without thinking that it could grow and become something. So, um, it's 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 almost just kind of like, why did you get involved in the first place? If this is how it's going to end this fast. Now, CL, CL. So I'm going somewhere with this. CL. Speaking of having all that money, so let's say it was you. Let's say you had all that money and you were the one who invested, and you decided for whatever reason you're going to pull out. Would you have provided the players some type of parachute, even a ticket home? Would you have done that? I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I would have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Honestly, the the trials of the average player in the league probably wouldn't cross my mind. I probably would be thinking about my my bottom line and my wrestle with the NFL Players Association and and whatever else he was wrestling with that that brought him to this decision. Don't you think though, if he had been thinking about the future, 
because he he did say in his letter that he sent out to the league that they're going to keep a small team and they're going to explore potential investors or what have you. And if they find something, there's going to be a season two. So he said that. So do you think that if he was really thinking about a season two, that he would have uh, just cut everything out the way he did? Uh, no, I don't. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. a short answer. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But I mean, I to me, I point back to whoever the original investor was in the AAF that pulled out that open the door for Dundon to come in in the first place. Like what happened with those that person or those persons like to me, when you're a new league like this, everything has to be ironclad. You know, if if there were some problems to begin with, then you move back to start date. You don't you don't start something just to finish it like this. Right, right. Yeah, there's so many questions and, and you know, there's stories coming out about how it was it was super unorganized. Some players are basically they were left, you know, without any kind of uh, uh, accommodations like they were literally out out on the street after this this announcement was made. And, uh, you know, I just think. I just think it was it was sad because the league uh, they they were definitely producing good games. The old ball coach in Orlando, Steve Spurrier, they had a very legit squad. They had a very legit playing squad, and it is uh, it's certainly sad to see it all go. And then, of course, the news comes out from Greg Wasinski at ESPN that there's a, a player in puck tracking in the National Hockey League, which is scheduled to arrive for the 2019-2020 season. And they want to, you know, uh, provide, uh, quote, provide unprecedented ways for teams and players to evaluate performances, add hundreds of new wagering options to the sports books, from betting on shot location to the speed of players, et cetera, et cetera. This is all aimed at legalized gambling. Hmm. Hmm. Dundon owns the Hurricanes. Now he has the tech that will definitely uh, enhance this goal. So <laughs> starting to look. Well, what do, what does one have to do with the other though? What do you mean? I mean, what does that have to do with him and his involvement in the AAF? He he the owned AAF. he he owned the Hurricanes before he got involved with the AAF. But the AAF is the one who's developed this tech. Like they they are the ones who are bringing this tech to the next level. They are the only ones who had this kind of a tech. So he gets in there and now and you know the murmurings, uh, CL that I read on ESPN is the murmurings of that. There are people inside the league who are saying he just wanted to get his hands on the tech. That's the murmurings. So now he's got this tech, and it can easily pour it over. This, to me, is the missing piece. Oh, so the NHL is doing this, and it has to do with legalized gambling. That's what the AAF was going to do, have all these new aspects of uh, legalized gambling. We're going to change the sport is what they were saying. They done been had, CL. (laughs) Maybe so. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. All right. I mean, we still got the XFL coming up. Yeah. There'll, there'll be another league. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Said said like somebody was not passionately and, and <laughs> involved. Well, I, I actually hadn't got a chance to watch an AAF game. I mean, it's in the middle of basketball season, so I wasn't going to not watch basketball to watch football. But, right. um, you know. And it's not like you were, you were not busy. Yeah, but I think um, – the XFL, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think we we got an inside uh, an insider with the XFL. Way to go, CL. 
that Way we'll have go. on in future future episodes who can break stuff down for us. Way to go, Seal. And wait, wait, to, wait to mention Jim Zorn. Okay, now, uh, that's that's not who it is. But you guys are going to love who it is. All right, well, let's go on. Speaking of what you're going to love, you're going to love the brownout this time. So give our sponsors an ear, listen to what they're saying, because without them, we're not on the air. And then come on back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. Welcome back to Sibling Rivalry Sports on 97.9 The Hill. It's time for the Brownout. The Brownout. Kentucky awarded John Calipari a lifetime contract to fend off overtures by UCLA. Good move by the Wildcats? So, uh, good move by the Wildcats. I would say yes, but I'd also kind of feel like it's an unnecessary move by the Wildcats because John Calipari was not going to go to UCLA which offered him less money than he's making right now with with Kentucky. And the only thing that, to me, that could pluck him from Lexington would be an NBA job, which even seems less likely now than like five years ago when he when he was at Kentucky. So um, I guess it's a good move. He, he To me, he essentially had a lifetime contract without it necessarily being said at Kentucky. You make a good point. You inform me as we go along, but I would say questionable to me. I just I don't I don't get that. I, yeah, it seems like there was maybe you know the talk of UCLA or what have you were going somewhere else, and so they wanted to just ensure. But I, I just don't you know with the other questions that we've heard out there, the voices that we've heard, they might not mean anything, CL, but the voices of hey, how come he has all this talent? It's not happening. It's not Final Four, and then you get a lifetime contract after that. Just seems makes me go, hmm, next question. Vanderbilt is reportedly talking with former North Carolina forward Jerry Stackhouse about becoming their new head coach. Can an NBA coach succeed without college experience? The stack is back. Let's see how, uh, I might be useless on this one. I'd love to see him at Vandy. Uh, will 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 he be able to translate that kind of NBA experience to the the college level? That's an interesting question. But I think Stack is uh, he's known for for being a personable kind of a guy. I think if he can relate to the players, he can do it. I think. I think this is a question that very much comes down to the individual that we're talking about. As a whole, I think it's hard to just say yes or no, an NBA coach can or can't succeed. I think what we've seen Eric Musselman do at Nevada, being somebody who's a lifetime NBA guy, and he's succeeding so far out there. And I feel that Stackhouse would bring uh, a totally different dynamic. I think he could succeed. He would relate to the players. Um, He's been running a, a, uh, well, I'm not sure that he's day-to-day operations, but he's been running an AAU program, sponsoring one out of the Kenston area for a while. Brandon Ingram that went to Duke and now with the Lakers played with him. So, Stackhouse would be successful, I, I feel like, under any circumstances. And he, he won a G League championship when he was coaching uh, the team in Mississauga, Toronto's uh, G League affiliate. So he's going to be successful. He's a competitor, and he's going to be successful whatever he does. Nasir Little and Kobe White declared for the draft. 
but Little is more of the wild card prospect. What do you think Little's professional experience will be like next season? This is the interesting question. You want to take this one first on a nice little? Why not? Um, you know, I guess the way I see it is uh, you know, what I would project. I actually, for some reason, CL project him higher than I think maybe your average fan and, and reporter writer might. I think I think he's going to get a lot of time on an NBA bench. That's my projection. Well, he'll definitely be on the bench. Um, <laughs> That's not what I meant. I think, I mean, he has so much to learn. I think he'll be somebody who, like Theo Pinson, for instance, this year with the Brooklyn Nets, has, has had a two-way contract. So he's played a lot with their Long Island G League affiliate team uh, to get experience. And so I think Nasir Little will be somebody who's like that, who goes who doesn't he's still learning the game I mean I'm being fair to him he's still learning the game I don't think he's somebody who's going to come and have an impact on an NBA roster next season but do I think long term his future looks good yes I do because he's willing to learn true he's an humble kid he's not somebody who's thinking that he's just going to go step step in and take over the world next season so I think he's going about it the right way and I'm all for kids going even before they're quote unquote ready and we'll probably discuss yeah. that at a later time on the big playback. Yes, sir. The final four of Michigan State, Virginia, Texas Tech, and Auburn. Who do you have cutting down the nets on Monday? All right. Who you got? All right, CL. You, you want me to go first? Yes. Okay. Well, so, I mean, I'm definitely going um, Virginia. You know, I, I said before that I thought they were a sleeper, which you attempted to obliterate them. <laughs> you, but I still, I, you know what? I got Virginia going all the way, CL. I got them taking the whole thing. That's legit. I'm, I'm going to stick with what I said with Bardo earlier. I, I think Michigan State, they're just that toughness. Izzo, obviously, of the coaches remaining, is the only one to have won a national championship before. Um, everybody else would be a first-timer if they win. Uh, I just think, again, Cassius Winston, of the guys remaining, is the best point guard, hands down, uh, for him to handle the pressure of Trey Jones the way he did against Duke and still run the offense, 10 assists, one turnover. Didn't shoot it as well, 9-23 from the field, but um, he's he's a dynamic guy. So I'm going go green and Sparty to celebrate on Monday night. All right, all right, CL. So give us a shout-out. Give us some kind of quick video or something while you're there. Help you, you know, have a good time and a productive time while you're there at the Final Four. And, folks, uh, thank you for having a good time and a productive time with us here on the show. And we got to go. So my name is Chris Brown. I'm CL Brown. And this is Sibling Sibling Rivalry Rivalry Sports Sports on 97.9 The Hill.